0: All right, the title of this morning's message is "It's all going to work out. It's all going to work out. Sometimes we need to be told that, don't we? It's all going to work out. <laughs> turn to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter eight. This is a familiar passage and a familiar verse, I'm sure to all of you, um, but as we talk about here quite often, uh, this would be a great verse if you haven't already to memorize. Uh, to commit to this, uh, keep it in your heart. It's one of those promises of God. And uh, it's, a, it's a precious promise. Uh, Romans eight twenty eight. The Bible says here in, in verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. He said here that we know. <laughs> he said we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Do we know that? You know, do we know that? Yeah, we do know that. And you say, how, how do we know that? Because he, he tells us to. He tells us that. The Lord tells us that. That he, he has uh, a good uh, plan for us. And he has our best interests in mind. He is working for our Are good, long term, and I believe even on the short term. Let's continue to read verse 29. For whom he did foreknow. You know, when we begin to think of the foreknowledge of God, isn't that, for us, that is mind-boggling, isn't it? That that God that is eternal, uh, long before time, you know, we, we, we can read when time started. The Bible says the evening and the morning, they were the first day in creation. That, those are, those are uh, measurements of time. Uh, before time ever started, God knew everything. He knew everything that was going to happen inside of time. Did He not know before time began what was going to happen the whole time? Right, amen. He knew what was going to happen in each and every one of our lives. I don't know if that brings you any comfort, but it does me. Mean- the foreknowledge of God. He he knows there's nothing. And I know we say this kind of jokingly, but there's nothing that takes God by surprise. In the sense of, "Oh no, what just happened? I didn't think that was going to happen in their life." He says, "For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son." Let me let me say this, we're not being transformed to this world, right, but we're being uh, transformed or conformed to the image of God as believers, right? That's that's the mold that we're trying to uh, change into, and as our minds change, we are being made into the image of Christ instead of being forced into the, the mold or the image of this world, right? That is God's will in our life, that we are more Christ-like. He's predestined for us to be conformed into the image of His Son, and of course we We understand that that is going to happen when we get those glorified bodies, those new bodies. But hey, that that happens even now. That's happening in our lives now. That's that's what we call the sanctification process, right? Is we're being set apart, being made into the image of Christ, even at this time. Hey, sometimes when you're when you're going through a a change, a transformation, sometimes it's not always um, comfortable. Sometimes there is some, uh, what we think as suffering during that time, or some pain, some growing pain, but it is all for the good. Right? We believe that, correct? He said, verse 30, Moreover, whom He did predestine, them He also called. Isn't it good to know we're called of God? Let me ask you this question. Does God know your name? Does He know where you're at and what you're going through? And Are you called of God? Are you... Not only are you called of God in, in the sense of He's called you to a purpose, but you're called after God, in the sense that you're you're His child, you're part of His family, you're a believer, a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. Said whom them also He called, um, whom He called them also He justified, and whom He justified He also glorified. Verse thirty-one. And what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Isn't that a good verse? Think about that. I mean, really, think about that. If God be for us, and let me ask you, do you believe this morning that He's for you? Do you believe this morning that God is for you? I hope you do. I hope deep down in your heart you feel like He is your loving Father and He is absolutely for you. And if God is for you, who could be against you? Really, who could be against you? Wow. I, 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 you, he says here in this verse that he's working all things together for good. That's present tense. Right? What's happening? I don't know where you're at in your life right now. I don't know. I, some of you I do. Some of you I don't know. What, what you may be going through. But let me just say, no matter where you're at presently, what you're going through, good or bad, is being worked together for your good. Do you believe that? Re- regardless of it w- what it is, it's present tense, being worked together. And, and, and God knows how to make some good things, doesn't he? Doesn't God know how to make some great things? we see in Genesis chapter 1 that God, he saw, he, he created the light. What did he say about the light? In John, Genesis chapter 1, it was good, didn't he? Then He created the earth and the dry, the dry land and the sea. And what did He say after He did that? It is good. Then he, he created the grass and He created all the herbs of the field and the flowers. And He put seed in those so that they could reproduce themselves. And what did He say about those? It is good. He created some good things. He did that with the animals and, and all these sort of things. He created these things. And after He did that each day of creation, you know what He said? He said, it is good. It's interesting, this is kind of a side note, that in Genesis chapter 2 was the first time that God said, and it is not good. And you know what he said it is not good about? He said, It is not good that man should be alone. And so he created woman. And and God, he knows how to make good things, beautiful things. He took something that had no form, that was void, the earth. And you know what he did? He made this. He made some, I mean this is earth. We see earth now after after the curse. We see earth after thorns and and all the things that have come as a a result of the fall. But you know what? We go some places and look around in the wilderness of what God has created, and you know what he said? Wow, that's good. (laughs) I couldn't do that. I mean the good, you know, it, it takes a good artist, a good painter, to just copy what he created. He can make some good things. He can make some good things in our life. And this is is the blessedness of the believer's promise can hold on to, that God is working good in our life. No matter what it is, no matter what you're going to. This is a promise that you must, that you must hold on to. That no matter what you face, no matter what you're going through in this life, God is working it out to your good. When you lay it at His feet, I, I truly believe this, that you and I can lay issues, problems, our future, at his feet. And then he'll go to work at it. And he'll take care of it. And your life can be in his hands. There's a story in, in the book of Ruth um, that, that's a picture and type of you and I in Christ. The, 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 the story is Boaz. He's the redeemer. He's the, he's the Jewish royalty, the rich uh, landowner, right? And, and Ruth, who is she? She's a servant girl. She's a, she's a, she's a widow. She's, uh, she is a Gentile. And that's a picture of Christ in the church. The Jewish king taking the Gentile bride, right? And what does uh, Naomi, uh, Ruth's mother-in-law, she says, go to Boaz. And she says, "Lay down at his feet and tell him your request." And Ruth does that. She goes and she tells Boaz his request, and she comes back and she has all this blessing and gift that Boaz had given her, and says that Boaz is going to go to the gate, the city gate, and work this thing out. And you know what Naomi told Ruth right then? She says in verse uh, Ruth thirteen, verse eighteen. She says, "Sit still, my daughter, until now. How and see how this matter will fall." For that man will not be in rest until he has finished this thing this day. you know what Naomi said to Ruth? Hey, it's in his hands now. And that man, he is of such character. And he is of such uh, such a good guy. That he will not rest until he is taking care of your issue. Until he is taking care of your problem. And I believe you and I are the same way. When we take our cares before God, when we take our, our problems before God, and we lay them at His feet, we can walk away rest assured after we've entered into the throne room of God that he is, he is at work in our life today. He is working out all those details that admit. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that good to know? He's working for our good. It's a privilege It's a privilege as a believer. But let me ask you this question. Is this a privilege for everyone? I don't believe it is. Romans 8.28 says it's for them that what? Love God. It doesn't say every situation is going to be good for every person, does it? It says for them that love God. Think about this. What is the great commandment in the Bible? Mark chapter 12. The scribes, they come to Jesus and they say, what is you know the great commandment? What did Jesus say? He says, um, The first of all commandments is, Here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And thou shalt what? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. By these two laws hang all the Law and the prophets. That's what Jesus said. The first commandment is to love your Lord your God with all your heart. That that that's 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 where the, the promise hinges in Romans 8.28, isn't it? All things are going to work together for your good to who? To them that love God. Let me tell you, if you're a child of God, you love God. You love it. Don't you know, don't let anything if this is the great commandment, let's just think about, about it. Uh, if this is the great commandment, to love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, and mind, what would be the great sin? To not love God. To not love God. To not love Him. To not, right? Is that is that simple? But it's true, right? It, look, you, you've read the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, how much God blessed them and what He did to them. What, did, what made God... The, the, the most hurt, what broke his heart, more than anything, what made him the angriest is when they went after what? Other gods. No doubt that is the biggest problem is when they served other gods. Man, what really got him is when he would deliver them like the nation of Israel out of Egypt and then they'd make a golden calf and say, he, the golden calf delivered him. But what if you and I, every time we had a problem, we put our faith and trust in something else before God? What if in a crisis, what if been something that we were, we, we were more trusting in the government, more trusting in money, more trusting in, 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 in doctors, more trusting in anything? I mean, we can have all those things. God uses all those things. Don't get me wrong. But my goodness, we have God to trust first before any of those things, before any of those things. I want to look at an example here. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings. 1 Kings, chapter 11. You're all familiar with the story of Solomon. <laughs> How when he was young, his heart was tendered toward God, and God blessed him like he blessed, it seems like, like he blessed no one else, didn't he? Became the wisest man in the world, became the richest man in the world. The Bible says during the time, the economy, the economy was so good in Israel, during Solomon's reign, the Bible says that silver was in stones. It was of no value. It was there was there was the the economy was booming so much. God blessed it Solomon so much. But then what happened? 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 4 And it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other what gods with small g and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father skip down to verse 9 and the Lord was angry with Solomon Because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. God had shown up. He would spoke with Solomon. He had personally blessed Solomon. And can you imagine after all that? And Solomon was the one that built the temple to God when he was young. But then as he got old, you know what he ended up doing? In Israel. The nation that God had blessed with his, own, with his own hands. He blessed this nation. You know what Solomon did? He began to build these uh, houses of worship for false gods around Israel. Look at verse 33 of chapter 11. Because it says, Because that they have forsaken me, God said, and have worshipped Ashtaroth the goddess of the Zidonians, and Shemash, the goddess of the Moabites, and Malcolm the goddess of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do that which is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments as did David his father. At the end of Solomon's life, something had stolen his love for God. The first commandment. You see that? It... it And and let me just say this. It did not end well for Solomon. It didn't end well for Solomon. It started off great. It started off wonderful. Did it end well for David? Oh yeah. Ended well for David. What happened? God said because of, uh, in that passage there, he comes to Solomon and he says, because of your father David, I will not take the kingdom from you, but I will divide it. And I'll take it from your son. And I'll give it to a servant. And and from that moment on, after Solomon's death, the 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 kingdom was divided. Rehoboam he was able to reign, and and the reason why he was able to reign is because of the promise God had made to David that there would be part of his lineage, the tribe of Judah, to continue. But Rehoboam only experienced a sliver of the glory of Solomon and of David. He ten tribes, ten tribes had gone away from. Rehoboam, to Jeroboam, a servant, and Israel was split. And from that day on, it was there was a few good days, but nothing like it was under David, and nothing like it was under Solomon. L- listen, S-s-s Solomon sinned. Solomon, he he messed up. That's 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 not on human right. David sinned, and he messed up, didn't he? Think about the sin with Bathsheba. And I'm not trying to, you know. But the point of that is, good came of that. David loved God, and his heart was for God. you know who Solomon was? He was was Bathsheba and David's son. And so God is even able to make good things out of bad things if we keep our heart toward God and love with God. But not, not Solomon. It went downhill after that. The wisest man that ever lived. The man that built the temple for God. His heart was turned from God. The point here is, don't let anything. We want good in our life. We want God working in our life, right? Simple. Don't let anything get in between us and our love for God. Nothing. Not our spouse. Not our family. You say, but I thought that that's what we were to put first. Not before God. You say, how, how could we ensure that our, we have a great family, a good home, a strong home? Put God first. Put God first in your home. Put God first in your marriage. Put God first before your children. You know, put God first before, obviously, before our career and our entertainment. And, you know, there's so much in the world today that could steal our hearts, our love for God. There's so many things that could just steal it. But we've got to say right now, we're going to say, look... I'm I'm not gonna allow look I, I'm not gonna allow anything because, to come in between me and God like David not saying I'm perfect not saying I'm gonna do everything right but my love for God my heart has to stay perfect toward God people should know that people should know that about us I believe that as followers of of Jesus Christ as followers of God if if, if, if people are somewhat close to us, they should know that our priority is our God, that He is first in our lives. Why would we be ashamed of that? There's no reason to be ashamed of that, is there? If we believe this verse, if we believe this promise, there's no pointless suffering in our lives. Not for those that love God, it's not pointless. There's really no negatives. (laughs) Everything is, even if things are falling apart, it's falling apart to fall right together into God's plan, right? If the world is falling apart around us, we've got to believe that it's all those broken pieces are going to fall together just to make that puzzle perfect. You say, that's crazy to believe that. I I believe it. I believe it. God is at work in our life and he knows the end from the beginning. Everything's positive. Our future is bright, you say, what? We're not going to have to go through some things? Of course we are. This is a good verse, though. This is a verse that we're going to see good. We're going to see good. You know, so many times Christians say, oh yeah, I know we're going to see good eventually. I mean, when we get to heaven, it's going to be good. Of course it is. The promise is there. And the, and the suffering down here is not to be compared with the glory that shall appear in us. But I, I, I go a little further. I believe God will bless us here. I believe God has good plan for us here on this earth. If we're called according to God's purpose, God's purpose for us is good. Even if there's suffering, even if there's things involved. Think of, think of Moses. Moses, he, he lived in a terrible time. He lived in a, in a for the nation of Israel, for himself. He was, he was born into uh, the... the the Jewish family, the nation of Israel, and Pharaoh was persecuting them very bad. The nation of Israel, the Jewish people, they were slaves, and the Bible says that their lives were in bitterness. There was hard bondage that Pharaoh had made them serve with rigor. They were building the, the uh, Egyptian cities, Ramses and Python. And the nation of Israel was. The nation of Israel was growing in and, and they were becoming strong and multiplied and multiplied. And Pharaoh began to get nervous that they were going to be greater than, than Egypt and the Egyptians. And so he, he commanded that all the boys be killed at birth. There was a couple that had not forgotten about their God. A lot of the nation of Israel had. The Bible says that they had faith. And they disobeyed that decree that their child should be born, and they took their child, their baby, and they put him in a basket and put him on a river and just said, God's going to have to take care of him. And you know the story of what happened, that Pharaoh's daughter finds him, right? Takes this baby out of the river, and now she needs to, She wants to keep him. And she has to find a nurse to take care of this little baby. And you know who she finds? She finds Moses' mother, gives Moses back to her, and says, Will you nurse him? Will you take care of him? And she pays him for it. Wouldn't that be good if we got paid to take care of your own kids? Does God God make any mistakes? Is Is there any coincidences with God? So Moses, he becomes of age and goes and moves into Pharaoh's house. He becomes Pharaoh's grandson. He becomes a prince in Egypt, the greatest education, greatest universities. When you read the books Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it is a very well educated, spirit filled man that wrote those books, Moses. Everyone knew him as an Egyptian. They called him an Egyptian, but he wasn't. He was a Jew of the tribe of Levi. When he became 40 years old, as he grew up as a prince in Egypt, he. He felt called. He felt called to, to deliver Israel from his bondage. Now, he had been trained as a warrior. He had been trained as, uh, in, in manners and well-dressed, anything that you would think of, of, a, of a future pharaoh to be. But he in his heart felt a call to deliver the nation of Israel from their bondage. And he took matters into his own hands. You know what he did? He saw an Egyptian abusing a slave and he killed him. He killed that Egyptian, buried him in the sand, thought that nobody saw him, but somebody did see him, and he had to be run for his life. He became a fugitive, right? Goes into the wilderness, goes out into what the Bible calls the backside of the desert. Think about this. And out there in the backside of the desert, in the wilderness, what what happens? He becomes a shepherd. He becomes a shepherd of the sheep. Now, think about this. He's not doing his call, what he thought he was called to do, right? He thought he was going to be the savior of Israel, right? Lead him out of Egypt. And he's not doing that. And he's not enjoying life like he was as a a prince in Pharaoh's house. With all the power and prestige of that. Here he is, a fugitive on the backside of the desert. The only thing that he was probably learning out there is... How to survive in the desert. The only good thing that he could pick up out there in the wilderness is how to lead a, a big herd of sheep from one water and hole to the next. How to navigate through the wilderness. And all things that I don't think that was he, he had planned on uh, being part of his life. Uh, can you put yourself in Moses's? I mean, it seems like that he's wasting his time. Would you not agree? Out there in the the wilderness. You know how long Moses is there? Forty years. He's in the wilderness for forty years. And I can only imagine that Moses thought it was a waste of time. But you know what God was doing? He was preparing. See, Moses had a pretty good resume at forty. To lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt but he had a really good resume at 80. You know why? Because he'd learned how to navigate through the wilderness. He'd learned how to go from one water hole to the next. He'd learned how to survive in the desert. And you know what? One of the greatest leaders in Bible history, Moses, taking a, over a million people through the wilderness for 40 years, had to go to school first. Before he led them through the wilderness, he had to be led through the wilderness before he was able to be, become what he wanted to be, he had to go out there and learn it for himself. And so all these things worked together for the good. You see that maybe he didn't understand what was going on. Maybe at times he thought, this stinks. I don't know why I'm doing this. But it all worked out for the good. He had to do this trial run with sheep before he had people. Think about that. What Moses became to them, he he took a whole nation and moved them from one place to another. He became their judge, he brought order to Israel, he really, they had become pretty much pagan, and he brought the law back, he brought God back, he brought the ark in, all those great things, but you know what, he had to go through some things first, before He could do what God's purpose was. And all the while, what was God doing? Was He working for good in Moses' life? Absolutely. But it wasn't always easy for Him to see that. How about Paul? Paul the Apostle. Just as soon as Paul receives Christ on the road to Damascus, he's, uh, in Acts chapter 9, he tells God, tells Ananias, that Paul is a chosen vessel. He says Paul's going to preach to uh, the Jews... He's going to preach to the Gentiles, and he's going to preach to kings, right? He says that about Paul as soon as Paul accepts Christ. And so, sure enough, Paul accepts Christ, and he's baptized, and immediately we see in Acts that he begins to preach. And who does he begin to preach to in Damascus and Jerusalem? He's preaching to the Jewish people, right? The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what do they do? They try to kill him. They run him out. They 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 they, they uh, try to and, and what's that cause Paul to do? It causes him to go to the Gentiles, right? So those things in his life that are hard, that are that are bad, drove Paul to start churches like Corinth and and, and, and Philippi and Thessalonica and all those. M- Uh, epistles that we have. And then, after he does three missionary journeys and starts these churches in the Gentiles and preaches, what happens? He's arrested, right? And he begins to go through this legal process of going before governors and kings, right? And every time he does, when he goes before Felix and Festus and Agrippa and eventually Caesar, he gives the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and preaches to him. I don't know that he would have ever started the churches in, in the Gentile cities if he hadn't been persecuted by the Jews. I don't know that he would have ever got the chance to stand before Nero and preach to him the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and Agrippa had he not been arrested. You say, are all things working together for the good? They were for Paul. And, and you know the thing about it was, is, is Paul realized that. He said he had learned in every state that he was in to be content. Why? Because he had to believe that even though he was in bondage, even though he was being persecuted, what? God was doing it for his good and for the good. Hard to believe that. I think it's interesting that Paul, as he's in house arrest in Rome, right before he gets the chance to preach to Nero, Caesar, he says at the end of Philippians That there are those in Caesar's household that are believers, followers of Christ. I can only assume that Paul led them to Christ. I think that's interesting. That here Nero is trying to, to 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 put out the flame of Christianity, even to the point of persecuting and killing Paul. And yet, those of his own family are accepting Christ. That's how God works, isn't it? There's no coincidences. There's no coincidences. Whatever you're, what I'm getting at is whatever you're going through now, whatever you're facing now. You know, it's easy to think that God's doing good in our life when things are good, right? And you're like, "Oh, God did this good thing. I got the job that I wanted. I'm, I'm doing the thing that I'm doing. I'm everything's going fine. All the things that I wanted are coming to pass." But isn't it harder harder to believe when you don't get the job that you wanted, or when you lose the job that you had, or when things aren't going the way that you thought they would? And sometimes, here's the thing, here's the thing that's hard for us to believe, is when we do wrong, and we pay the consequences of our own doing, to think God's going to work that to the good, But I believe He will. That's how merciful and long-suffering He is. That even when we're, we're the cause of our own suffering, even though when we're the cause of our own pain, God will still, He's like that, He's like just perfect navigator to be able to take those broken pieces and later work it out to our good. God's working in your life if you love him if you're in, in love with him he's working in your life turn back to Romans I just want to read the, the end of that passage Romans chapter 8 as we close. Above all, fall in love with God. Above all. How do you fall in love? It can be just a choice, right? A choice to to spend time with, to get to know, right? To know how much you are loved. When we realize how much God loves us, it makes it easier then to... Fall in love with Him. Do you remember the circumstances around your salvation? When you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's good so many times to see the sovereign hand of God in your life. And and everyone that is a believer has experienced that. When you look back to that moment that you accepted Christ, and then you rewind a little bit and say, this is what God was doing in my life. He was you say, I accidentally ran into a person. I accidentally met somebody. I just ended up going over here. I just ended up, and, and then when you really think back on it, you say, that was not a coincidence. That was not by mistake. I, I'm serious. I think everyone should plot out how God intervened in their life. Look back and say, my soul, God came after me. He loved me so much that he, he put people and circumstances and stuff in my life. And when we recognize how much he loved us for salvation, we can then believe that, hey, he is going to continue that work in our life. And so this week, you're going to be put in circumstances. You're going to meet people. You know what's interesting? A lot of us, a lot of us around our salvation, we got, a lot of times, God uses other people. Not always. But a lot of times God uses other people. He'll bring other people into your life around your salvation. You know what's neat to see? This week you might be that other person. If if you're you're recognizing that this week, I, I know God's at work drawing people in this community, in this area to know Christ. I know it. I know He's drawing people in your family to know Christ. And you know what He might do? He might use you this week. To be that person. To stand right in front of somebody and be open your mouth and you're right in the middle of this amazing plan that God has for somebody else and he's using you. You believe that? Oh, I do. Absolutely. I think it's awesome what God does in our lives. Let's read this verse and we'll close. Verse 35 of Romans chapter 8. These verses. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? How, how, how is it that we're going to fall in love with God? One way is to know how much you're loved. Now, the unconditional love of God. That's what He has for His children. That's what He has for us. You say, how much does He, how much does he love us? Unconditionally. Unconditionally. I believe that. Don't you? It's absolutely mm-hmm. unconditional. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Hey, we're we might go through some trouble, shall distress, shall persecution, shall famine, shall nakedness, peril or sword. Verse 37, nay, no. In all of these things we are more than what? Conquerors through Him that loved us. You say, I don't feel like a conqueror right now. God sees you as a conqueror right now and therefore you are. Why? Because you're in Christ. If Christ is in you, then you are conquering. You're a conqueror. I mean, I'm just saying, this is good news. You say, this is motivational. I don't, you know, I think it's motivational. I think it it motivates me, the love of God. The unconditional love of God. The victory that He has given us in His life. It really motivates me that God is working all things together for the good. No matter what it is. No matter how it goes. You know what? It's kind of almost like a carefree life, isn't it? It's like whatever. Thy will be done. Whatever you say. Well, it looks like it's falling apart around you. And sometimes when it is falling apart around me, I get stressed out and worked up. Don't, don't think. But but really, I can just say, whatever. God, thy will be done. God, you're, you're, this is end up. This is end up going to be good. What are you doing? You're doing something in our life. You're doing something good. I know you are. Why? Because you love me. You love me. He said, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. You know what Paul was? He was persuaded. Some of us better get persuaded. Persuaded of the love of God. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Hey, we've got a bright future. Nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Could you imagine how how all of us, this group right here, if we left this church realizing that the love of God that is in us and his good that is meant toward us this week, how that would empower us, that there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate us from the love of God, our Father. (laughs) Doesn't that make it easier to fall in love with God? When he's already, before we loved him, he's already, committed His unconditional love toward us.